backroom politics. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is backroom politics live on Blog Talk Radio from a snowy and icy nation's capital, Washington, D.C., still currently under a winter storm warning that goes from about here all the way up the Acela Corridor up into Maine and the the Canadian Maritimes. It is cold, it is snowy, it is icy. So if you're listening to us in your car, please be careful. Uh, Hopefully you're listening to it at home in the comfiness of of your warm home. As we are broadcasting remote today, I am home. I think everybody's home today. But joining me as they do every Tuesday, he is the former Joe Biden political operative and a bar certified attorney in the great state of Maryland and the District of Columbia. He is the man that we know as Dan Lipner Esquire. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Justin. And I don't care what the CBO says. 14 million listeners are still going to listen to us if Trump care passes. <laughs> Thank you, Daniel. And he is the former uh, Undersecretary of Commerce who served at last count under four presidents. He is longtime Senate staffer, longtime Washington insider, and a distinguished and handsome fellow from the Stimson Center. He is the man we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. I hope you're staying warm, sir. I am. I am. And back from his tour of the great southeast and northeast corridors of these United States. He is the retired admiral from your United States Navy. He is the man we know as Admiral Ken, Admiral Ken Carradine. Hello, Admiral Ken. Burr, Justin Burr. Yeah, not long, long call from a uh, southern boy in Alabama, I guess. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, we, we have got a lot to talk about today, obviously. First, out of the box, In case you have not seen it, uh, last week we talked about it. We talked about the Trump Care Bill, which is commonly being referred to as the House uh, American Health Care Act bill that is currently in discussions and under review and awaiting debate inside the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, When we spoke last week about this subject, the CBO had not chimed in. Well, guess what? The CBO has chimed in. And the CBO has, it depends on who you ask. If you talk to the White House, uh, the CBO is basically smoking dope. If you talk to the Speaker of the House, Speaker Paul Ryan, he will tell you that this is great news, that this is exactly what they wanted to hear. And yet everybody in Washington and all political pundits that I talk to are still scratching their head as far as how is this positive with the American Health Care Act or the Trump Care Bill. Uh, Alan, our, our uh, statesman of facts, Alan, what exactly, I know that the highlight that everybody's talking about is that if this were to be signed into law, that over 14 million people would lose their insurance or be underinsured, and that number goes up to about 40 million around 2020 time frame. Is that about right? Uh, it's actually their estimate is 14 million in the first year. Up that goes up to 24 million in uh, uh, by in, in over by 10 years. Okay. And the the source there, there are multiple sources of who those people are. The biggest number is uh, the estimated group of people who uh, went on to expanded Medicaid, part of the original 
uh, Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Um, and because this bill would cap Medicaid spending several years out, it, it just is not sustainable to keep that many people on. So that's the biggest number. And then there are uh, there, there are significant other millions of people, some of whom uh, currently are mandated to buy and would choose not to. Some are employers that are mandated to provide and would choose not to. And, and a good number are people who would simply not be able to afford the individual coverage that they're able to afford under the more generous subsidies available in the Affordable Care Act that would be replaced by a, a tax credit in the uh, in the in the <laughs> the proposal. You call it Trump Care. I'll just remind everybody that during the campaign, Donald Trump uh, at at rallies would say, "We're going to have we're going to replace this 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 Obamacare thing. We're going to have better coverage at lower cost for more people." And somebody in the audience yelled out, Donald Care. And he said, sure, call it whatever you want. Well, <laughs> I think before you know it, he is not going to be hes not going to be claiming any authorship at all. I think before you know it, this is going to be known as Ryan Care inside the White House. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Admiral Ken, today, uh, Sean Spicer, the uh, press secretary for the uh, president at the White House, uh, basically came out with a comment saying that the president is convinced that if this bill does not pass and is not signed into law, it will be ever more difficult to repeal Obamacare. Does the president see this as a must win in order to maintain that promise? Would he rather just get this bill passed to make the campaign promise other than put something in that's viable? Well, not one that could easily get inside President Trump's head and come out without need of some counseling. Um, I think <laughs> I think the thing that uh, I I keep going back to is uh, his comment uh, a few weeks ago. I think, I think perhaps it was just after the speech where he, he called this uh, the, he called the process of getting this resolved hard. Well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think that pretty Sorry, much, couldn't resist. I think that kind of says says a lot, and I think what they're finding out that governing is a lot harder than campaigning, um, and I think they're finding out that this whole healthcare conundrum is appropriately named a conundrum. Um, I think that you know he is he has been uh, a man on a mission since inauguration of fulfilling his his campaign promises. Uh, I suspect that. If this bill doesn't pass, uh, he'll do the same thing he's done with the immigration ban. That he'll step back, regroup, and try and do it do it a different way. Um, it leaves anyone's a lot of anyone's I leave it anyone's imagination to try and figure out what that what that new approach would be. But I don't for one bit believe that should this bill go down in flames, and I think it will as it is currently drafted, that that will be the end of the the uh, the, um, the effort to to fulfill that promise. All right, but but Dan Lipner, you know there is a lot of there there is still a lot of programs as we discussed last week that the that the House American Healthcare Act has that's carryover from Obamacare adult children up to 26 uh, mandatory coverage for pre-existing uh, you know the, the the things that it takes away were unpopular why is this why is this a bill that the CBO looks at it and says, we've got the wrong direction going. 
Well, a couple of things. So uh, Admiral Ken saying that he's not man on a mission. Yeah, uh, on a mission from God. I'm, I have the vision of the Blues Brothers flashing in my head there. Um, and, and by the way, somebody's uh, audio is on, so I'm getting feedback in, in the headset. So as no. far as why is having such issues, I'm sure Alan can expand on this, is, yeah, everyone likes the popular stuff where you're getting things. However, the individual mandate and other parts of it are also the ways that you pay for these things. I mean, Speaker Ryan, when he gave his little talk about the the new health care bill, said, you know, it's unsustainable having uh, – People who are well paying for people who are sick. Really? That's kind of how insurance works. The people whose houses burn down are paid for by the people whose houses don't burn down. That's the nature of insurance. And you need money in the ledger to balance that out, which is part of the reason for the individual mandate. So the things that people do like that that everyone is pretty much in agreement on, and kudos to uh, former President Obama for now changing the conversation for ensuring that pre-existing conditions will always get covered, that children up to the age of 26 will be can be covered under their parents' health insurance. Yeah, that, all that stuff is great, but the penalties that the new bill will allow are somewhat insane when you think about the nature of of the financial condition for people who are teetering on the edge. So the the individual mandate will be replaced by a penalty if you allow your insurance to lapse. And the things that cause your insurance to lapse are everything from divorce to unemployment to any other unexpected financial condition that that normal Americans frequently are inflicted with. And your insurance lapsing is not an uncommon Scenario. So if you're the, I believe it's three to five times allowing your insurance to go up, if you allow your insurance to lapse, yeah, that's a good way of bringing people back in. And in addition to that, the people who are irresponsible and try and game the system saying, I'm healthy now, so I will let it lapse. Um, there, there is a certain amount of insanity for the Ryan plan, and I'm kind of surprised by how much he doubled down on it as opposed to simply starting it as a negotiating position. It's a little unusual to me. Yeah, but, I mean, Alan Moore, let me, let me go to you on this aspect of it. The CBO in the same scoring says that the American Health Care Act does, in fact, reduce the budget, the deficit spending, by 336. Uh, is, it, is it $336 million annually? Billion dollars over, over 10, ten years. years. Over 10 years. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, $336 billion over 10 years, that's $33 billion a year. That's not bad. Uh, that's not a bad cut in deficit spending. Is, is, is that worth the offset of the current bill? Well, the, you have to understand where it comes from. Let me, let me just say, though, a word. Dan, Dan got a little bit lost in the weeds there. I was a little confused. Uh, what came through loud and clear was his characterization of everything is insane. I think he used that a couple of times and he gave credit to the, to president Obama for some things that were in that bill, but that bill was, was a, a large uh, committee 
uh, effort, and there was a lot of support always for uh, uh, providing access to folks with uh, access to buy if a they lot want of to. Support people, always, people, but people, it was never enacted people, in law prior people, to the president, people, prior to President people, Obama. Excuse me. Well, it, 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 obviously, but but that at the time that there was a big group working on a on a uh, on a bipartisan bill, the uh, the Democrats uh, got anxious. They got sixty votes and decided to just ignore the the Repo- Republican partners. But 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 a couple of the things that were that were supported then and are uh, continue to be supported here are the notion of guaranteed access to insurance um, without having to pay some grotesque premium um, above what other people pay for people with pre-existing conditions. And then the, the ever popular, although not necessarily most logical, um, uh, a notion of saying that, that uh, you can stay on your parents' policies if they happen to have one uh, until you're, and, until you're 26. But, uh, and there were I, I, there were so many problems with what Dan said. I didn't take notes, so I couldn't keep track. But there were there were there were several several errors there. But but putting that aside, um, I've counted one uh, that you've mentioned. Just so you know, you've, you've <laughs> keep going, keep going. I, I don't know what you said. Um, so so uh, the the reason that the that the deficit is lower. It, with this bill than than the ACA is basically because by capping Medicaid, you greatly you greatly reduce the federal contribution to to paying for health care for the poor, the poorest, which is now about twenty percent of the country covered by Medicaid, folks, uh, which is sort of a scary notion. Um, of how of how dependent uh, we've become, how dependent the lower uh, the lower income folks are, but because it caps it and stops paying it, it lays this burden off onto the states, and the states have to decide what to do. What CBO says the states will do is simply cut a lot of people loose. It will not sustain um, its current level of services to all of those people. And they will simply be having gotten coverage, um, uh, and some of them have, have had it well uh, from well before the, uh, the Affordable Care Act. They will no longer have coverage. Well, on on paper, that means the federal government will pay less, and they will uh, therefore in, in improve their own deficit uh, situation. The states will be left uh, handed this particular bag. And they will either be in a worse financial situation or be in this this uh, dilemma of having to cut people loose who have been recently added, many of whom will get served in hospitals because the law requires hospitals to serve. There's a lot of uh, question about, so where ultimately would that responsibility lie? Some would lie on just less services and people – Having uh, worse lives or dying sooner, no, 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 getting around that. If this were to occur, this particular way, that's the Alan, big, that's the big saving. Alan, we've got a caller on the line. Let me bring him up here real quick. Caller for the two five six. You're on with backroom politics. What's your question? 
My basic question boils down to this, if I can make one very, very quick statement. That's We've fine. got a situation in which we have both a president who is inexperienced, a cabinet who has no background in anything remotely related to what they're doing, and we have a Republican Party right now who has convinced itself it has powers that it does not currently actually possess. And as a result, this bill is dead on uh, as soon as it gets there simply because most of them are much more worried about keeping their cushy jobs than they are about the country as a whole. Dan Lipner, I'll so let you run with that I'm asking – oh, sorry. Actually, I, go, I, go ahead. I, I will take that uh, – I'll take that as far as the, the cushy jobs. So the, the Tom, Tom Cotton, who is far from a liberal progressive Democrat, the senator from Arkansas, Confronted yes, with the one the who deluge. basically made some pretty heavy statements last night. Yeah, he did make some pretty heavy statements, and in part because his state was one of the big winners from Obamacare. The uninsured rate plummeted, and and people actually saw what government could do. Now, mind you, government, you still need to pay for all of it. But Senator Cotton did see that there are some ramifications from Based on the – if you do away with all of this stuff, there are real people that, that suffer. And to his credit, he said – he told the House they need to go back and get and, – and, and revisit everything they've gone through and not tr- try and race it through in a breakneck speed. I mean it went from introduction through, through two committees in less than a week, which – I mean Alan's more experienced on the Hill than me. I think that's sort of unheard of for something that's at this scale. Alan Moore? As I recall, the, the Affordable Care Act took 11 months to work out. Al- Correct. Alan Moore? Just, well, to, it, just it, to get out of committee. So, <laughs> well, no, no. Ultimately, the Affordable Care Act, it, it took a long time to get there. Arguably, the, this current bill took all of that time in the intervening years by a bunch of people trying to think about how to do this. Um the the ultimately the Affordable Care Act didn't even go through committee. Now there's do, not do a lot really of difference. Do you really believe they spent this time that well? There's, so there's not a lot of difference, frankly, between not going through committee and going through the committee the way these did. Believe me, I'm not a big fan of how that was done, especially in the absence even of a CBO analysis. They are in this huge hurry, and what Tom Cotton was saying, folks, don't walk this plank. This bill will never pass the Senate, and the, the the vote may come back to haunt you. That that was the key thing from from Cotton. Um, the here here's the problem. I mean, I, let me just push back on the on the caller's notion that none of these cabinet guys have any experience. Tom Cotton, uh, 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 Pro- Secretary of HHS Price, is a doctor. He's been a member of Congress, and he's been involved on these issues. Having said that, and and Tom Ryan has been studying and working on this stuff for years, if what they are proposing had been considered eight years ago as an alternative uh, that would bring Republicans to the table to what what, uh, the Democrats proposed, including the president, but this was mostly done by the Congress, maybe it would have had a shot. Maybe that would have been a, 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 a great improvement from the status quo eight years ago. The problem is that it's now 
proposed as a as a viable alternative to the Affordable Care Act, which is not sustainable in its current form. It's extraordinarily expensive, but it provides this huge uh, amount of care and opportunity for millions of people. And it just doesn't, and, and with the CBO analysis, you can't get there from here. So I do agree that this bill, especially now with the CBO analysis, is dead on arrival. The question is for Republicans is, what do they do now? They're not going to have the votes, I don't think, in the House, and they sure don't have them in the Senate. What they're going to try to do is ram it through the House, and I don't know if that's going to happen or not. You know, the two bodies are really different, but the, the, the notion is ram it through the House, send it over to the Senate, and let the Senate try to figure out how to change it into something that 50 senators will will vote for, presumably 50 Republicans, unless, and this is a super long shot, you could get a handful of Democrats saying, you know, we've got the bones of the old Affordable Care Act. Some people like Rand Paul have, have criticized it by saying it's Obamacare light, but, uh, which I think is a legitimate sort of comment, observation to make. Um, although it does, it's awfully light, given it's sort of Obamacare ultralight, because so many people would would uh, would lose coverage, according to the CBO. But try try to find some Democrats who would say, you know, we're not going to call it repeal and replace. We're going to call it in, fix uh, Obamacare, and we'll work with you guys. Alan, I don't uh, know that that's going to happen. Yeah, Admiral Ken, we're starting to see some pushback from. Uh, several members of both the Senate and some now starting in the House, uh, members of GOP that are starting to say, hey, we got to slow this train down. We're, you know, getting into really uh, dangerous territory as far as shoving this through. Uh, as the square peg round hole scenario continues with the Trump care bill, are we going to see more and more fallout from the GOP members? Of Congress, are we going to start seeing more people pull back the reins and say, "Let's slow this train down"? Uh, I think you will, because uh, by and large, um, a good number of the people who stood up to support President Trump are the ones that are going to be ironically hurt by uh, this bill if it passes in its current form. And I think the the Tea Party wing uh, of the of the party. Their hair is on fire right now, and they have been pretty effective in getting people primaried uh, that did not do the things that they, you know, um, believe that um, other Republicans were sent to Washington to do. So in a scenario where this this thing looks like it's going to pass in its current form or close to it, um, you're going to see, I think, a huge uproar uh, from that part of the, of the party. I think – uh, on a on a personal level, I think the thing that uh, that I have an issue with this this bill, and we've talked about it to some extent uh, in shows past, is even the president when he made his last uh, speech to the joint session of Congress talked about the fact that one of the things he was going to do is put in place uh, interstate competition for for bills, um, and for, for for insurance. It's not in this bill, and and uh, and I think um, while. You know, I'm still trying to get through it and understand it. 
Uh, I think Alan's been much more effective at doing that, you know, probably because he's just a really smart guy and I'm just a sailor. Um, but uh, I think Hold your wallet. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I ask your question directly. I think the fight's just started. I mean, you've got, you've got the moderate wing of the party that, you know, that, that really weren't that crazy about President Trump, you know, and understand that something needs to be done, but something isn't necessarily this. You've got the Tea Party wing, you know, I just got them talking about them. And then you've got the liberal Republicans, you know, that are like saying, oh, no, this is this is not just Obamacare. This is Obamacare light, and this doesn't look like anything we want to do. So well, I, I, I want to – Well, I want to ask a question to uh, both Dan on the D side and Alan on the R side. And the question is, you know – Medicare and Medicaid currently get pushed down to management at the state levels. Why wouldn't health care on whole get pushed down to the state levels uh, similar to Medicare and Medicaid? Let me start with you, Dan. Well, that's in addition to some of the crazy things uh, that are being proposed, the removing the state lines. Uh, to, so to be able to buy health insurance between state borders. And I understand lots of people are excited about that. And as far as I know, Blue Cross Blue Shield exists in all 50 states. And yeah, Blue Cross Blue Shield, no, no. I believe, is the only player in Alabama. I believe uh, uh, Admiral Ken's home state. Admiral and Ken, hold on. Hold on, Dan. Dan, let Admiral Ken, because he knows about Blue Cross Blue Shield as being a former employee of Blue Cross and, Blue and, Shield. And, so while while those while those agencies while that that that, that uh, insurance company exists in just about every state, they do not compare rates across those states. And furthermore, they're franchises, much like the McDonald's down the street uh, from you, Dan. Though you don't go there very often anymore, uh, is not typically owned or <laughs> operated in conjunction with the McDonald's down the street from you. So don't, I'm flattered don't, that you've noticed that I've lost complete. weight. That you don't, keep track of my figure, Admiral Ken. I appreciate that. I am deeply flattered. Don't don't conflate the issue uh, with the fact that this that the company exists in the states as if they're competing uh, rates across those states because they are not. Now they may be using data to define what rates that they uh, they do uh, push out to the customers to the patients, but don't don't conflate the issue that they're competing uh, rates across the states because that's not happening. You can say the same so, thing about United Healthcare. United Healthcare is everywhere too, but they don't. So they're, they're actually, I, I, I need to follow up on that because the the McDonald's versus Blue Cross Blue Shield conflating thing. He is absolutely right. However, absolutely right on a slightly different front. So, in the wonderful world of states' rights, that states can actually govern themselves and have their own protections for their own residents. If you go across state lines, and this has been true with credit cards, there's a reason that your credit card bills almost all go to either, I believe, either Arizona or South Dakota, is because the state's rights, as far as what were then considered usury laws, were, it was allowed that the states would not be allowed to dictate. So you could buy credit across state lines and your credit cards all just figured this out and lo and behold they all reincorporated in places where the laws were, were loosest um, this is similar to why every corporation that ha- does major business incorporates in Delaware Th- there are reasons for this so yeah there, 
if you want to buy across state lines, it, and those prices go down because the the access is lower, the the rights are lower, there's a reason for that. Now, if you want to play the long game, I would argue as a Democrat, even though many people would be hurt along the way, yeah, if you want to allow all insurance to be whatever the, the worst state in the country is, for the sake of argument, let's assume it's Wyoming, to let Wyoming dictate for the rest of the country what insurance rules and regulations will be, okay, I'm pretty certain the feds will end up stepping in and monopolizing the field and exercising the federal supremacy for for the market, in which case the feds will be have exclusive jurisdiction. That might take 10 or 15 years, but I have no doubt that would happen. But there are states like Massachusetts, Vermont, and, and California that have pretty decent protections for their consumers for insurance. So, I mean, the question is how we philosophically how you want to do that and how you believe government interacts with it. But if you say across state lines, it only means that people in Florida will have absolutely no rights other than through their federal legislator when the insurance companies all go to wherever the lowest bar is. I mean, that's simply what it means. It it. it it is it, it's a false argument when people throw it out there. Let, let the let the record show <laughs> that Dan Lipner is much more of an old line Democrat than many of us thought. Here he is fighting to defend states' rights. Who would have known? <laughs> now, what, let, let me speak to the to the issue that that Ken raised because. Uh, selling insurance across selling selling insurance across state lines, uh, which would require federal legislation, is not included in this bill for one simple reason. Everything in this bill has to go through and qualify under the rules for what's called budget reconciliation. What Ryan has made clear is that other elements of their total uh, health reform legislation would go through separate would go through separately because it doesn't qualify under the rules for a, a reconciliation bill. This is still very much part of their plan. And in terms of Dan trying to hang on by his fingernails to states' rights, there are all sorts of ways to to have federal. Uh, controls and regulations on any bill that would that any anybody's offering that would be available for uh, across state lines. It's a, it's an it's an old uh, proposal. Clause, Republicans baby. and Clause Democrats, dif- different people l- like the idea. Most insur- many insurance companies like the idea. Um, and I think there are ways to protect against the 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 thing that. That, that Dan uh, talks about, but but uh, but that that's that's Ken why it's not in this bill, and it, and Fine. one of one of one of Secretary Price's complaints about the CBO estimates was it doesn't take everything into account. Well, that's true, uh, like like this issue and possible savings that might come from it. I have no idea what they might be, but the the, the reason is what CBO looks at is the language in front of it. It says we know what the current law is, and here's how you would change it in this particular bill. Right. Here's what we think the impacts are. And all right, well, did, uh, Alan, we've already, Alan, we've come to the end of the segment real quick. I, I just wanted to go around the horn. 
yes or no questions, two of them. Yes or no is, <clears throat> is according to the president, or as the president has said today, the CBO is consistently wrong in its assessment of the American Health Care Act. Uh, yes or no, is the CBO wrong on this? Dan Lipner. It's as wrong as the unemployment numbers. Admiral Ken. I don't think I know. I, Alan I Moore. Well, it's Alan always Moore. wrong. Everything it does is an estimate. They have a low, a middle, and a high estimate. It's just that they're the best numbers that we have from the most objective organization. So it, even though they're off, it doesn't mean they're automatically uh, uh, suggesting that too many that more people will lose than won't that fewer people will lose it's the best we've got Fair and enough. when people simply say they're wrong then uh definitionally they're wrong it's the best we've got fair enough last yes or no question around the horn is it does the trump care bill does the american health care bill see the president's desk for signature into law admiral ken no dan lipner only if he can sit on the couch. Alan Moore. <laughs> well, it, it's, I'm sorry. It's the, this bill, no, of course not. But this bill has got to get changed. The question is whether any reform bill will pass. That's, a, that's the question, and that's the hard question. That's, and we didn't even – we never touched – and if I don't know if we're going to talk about it the next segment, but one big issue we left out of our whole conversation is – and you, when you repeal Obamacare, you repeal the special taxes on the wealthy that were imposed to pay for it. And it's, it's hundreds of billions of dollars. It's a surtax on income and, a, and an even higher surtax on investment income for wealthier people. Well, if you repeal Obamacare and repeal all those taxes, you, you have a huge arguable windfall, certainly politically speaking, you're going to give a big tax cut compared to current law to, uh, to, to wealthy, and you're going to throw a lot of people off of, off of uh, health insurance. That's not Alan, a I, winning argument. Alan, that is Let a subject that we will, Yeah. Alan, that is a subject that we will probably bring up next week. This is not a topic that is going away anytime soon. So we will That's probably bring sure. this up again. I just want to make sure we didn't leave it out because it's no, a no. big part of the political calculus. We have weeks to talk about this, Alan. Okay, with that being said, yep. we're late on the break. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics live from a very snowy D.C. on Blog Talk Radio. We will be back in uh, three minutes. Please stay with us. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. you dance by I felt a thrill 
politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. here live from uh, very snowy and ice-covered Washington, D.C. The snow has, in fact, stopped, but the rest of the folks up on the Acela Corridor are getting hammered. But we are warm in our respective residents here, uh, not at the National Press Club this week, but joining me as they do every Tuesday for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Admiral Ken Caroline, Dan Lerner, and Alan Moore. Hey, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about more fallout from the wiretap scandal, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, about a week and a couple of days ago, President uh, Trump woke up uh, a week ago Saturday and decided to announce that, uh, according to a alt-right radio host, which was then published, the accusation was then published by Breitbart uh, on their website, apparently the president feels that he was wiretapped by the Obama administration and has said, now said, call that out. He then had his administration call for a full investigation by the House Intelligence Committee to look into this wiretap accusation. And they said, okay, boss, whatever you say, the House Intelligence Committee today was supposed to 
start talking, or yesterday, I'm sorry, was supposed to start talking about investigating, or actually the investigation was supposed to begin the hearings by the Intelligence Committee. However, the Department of Justice has asked for a one-week extension. They put another quarter in the meter to get more time to get more evidence together for their full report by DOJ. Now, the question is, uh, you know, we talked about it last week about the viability of said uh, accusations, but Admiral Ken, let me go to you. You know, we know, you know, we hear a lot of people talking about the FISA warrants, uh, you know, or the type three or the category three criminal justice warrants that were normally associated with, you know, the mafia and FBI movies. But the bottom line, whether it's a FISA warrant or whether it's a category three warrant, still need to have probable cause. Does, does, does the investigation in the House, does the investigation in the House concern the president? Should it concern the president about making this exact, exact, exact accusation without the demonstration of probable cause properly? Um, I think it should. Whether it will or not remains to be seen. Um, I think that there's probably some evidence to the fact that there's some concern about it, given Sean Spicer's, I guess, tepid um, discussion of it during yesterday's press conference. Um, you know, I, 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 when I looked, when I, when I heard this thing, it, it, it reminded me of my love life with my ex-wife. There was no there there, you know? And so. Uh-oh. Be careful, man. Be careful. <laughs> I don't even know how to respond to that, Admiral Khan. Don't, you don't have to. I'm going to keep going here. And so, <laughs> so there's, there's, there's two things. Okay, so if, if there was probable cause, are you more troubled by that or the fact that he made this up or there wasn't probable cause and the Obama administration did something illegal? So, I, you know, I, I had a lot of problems with – the, the Obama administration and some of the policies, but never once, never once did I ever come away from, from, from an interaction and watching the president or talking to some of his people that I think that they were crooks. Never got that impression. They, they honestly believed in what they were doing and they ran a relatively scandal free uh, eight year administration. And so I, I'm left to the other two, the other two options, either he's making this up and it's, there's no there there or there was probable cause because of the things with, with uh, General Flynn and half a dozen other folks having conversations um, about what was going to happen after they got into power. You know, I, you know again, I, I'm, I'm equally troubled by those two. So is, is, is he concerned? I don't know. Should he be? Oh, yeah, he should absolutely be concerned about this. But uh, at, the end of the day, at the end of the day, I'll add this. At the end of the day, the rank-and-file Trump supporter will not care. They'll think Alan, that people are going after him. Alan Moore, you know, uh, Sean Spicer today and yesterday pretty much went all in saying that the, the president stands by his tweet and his uh, comments regarding it. How, how tight a tightrope is the president and the administration walking right now regarding this subject? Uh, from, the, from the outside – it looks like they're walking along the edge. Having said that, there's some things that are interesting here. Um, first of all, let me just 
just say because I like to be annoying and do this. The when you said that the that the president made his uh, tweet as a result of the the talk show guy and the Breitbart repeat, that is speculation. That has not been demonstrated. He has not acknowledged that. Everybody who's looked at this said, where did that come from? And people were sort of putting that together and guessing that that was the, the, the source. But we don't know that. And we don't know everything that he knows, he, the president. So I just mentioned that. Um, it may be all he knows. It may not. What's interesting to me is this thing that seems so absurd on its face for which no additional evidence has been provided, um, for which a very quick and easy answer should be available from the Justice Department, was there or was there not any surveillance whatsoever, which would have to have been under a FISA warrant, uh, going on during the campaign or transition of anything at Trump Tower, campaign, Trump himself, Flynn, uh, way back months ago, Paul Manafort, all the sort of most logical targets, you would have thought the answer would be quick and that DOJ would have said, this is all we got or there's nothing. The fact that DOJ asked for another week was for more time and was given a week by the, by the uh, committee in the Congress in the house. I find that really interesting. Um, So so here's here's my theory. If there was something, what the hell was it? it? I doubt if it was, let's trash the president. But imagine this. They know that Flynn has had some communication. They knew that Flynn had lied during transition about what was discussed with the Russians, enough so that they that they brought it forward and said that they thought that Flynn might be vulnerable to blackmail by the Russians because they know he was lying. And they told White House counsel, who told uh, the president-elect, even though nobody bothered to tell poor old Vice President-elect Pence about it so he could correct the record. Um, And so you, what I'm imagining is that they've been tracking Flynn for a while, including in his offices at Trump Tower at the campaign. And Flynn would talk to the president-elect during that period. So here's my sort of plausibility issue. I don't say this happened, but it might have happened, that in tapping or in surveying, surveilling Flynn, they might have intercepted, you know, they would have intercepted all sorts of calls with other people, including with the president-elect. Now, if that occurred, if that occurred, that would be at least possible grounds for for uh, Trump to say the Obama administration was surveilling us. And, and if there's a face of warrant, that's going to be interesting reading because it could easily have been with, with cause. What what so there may be something there in terms of the surveillance but, where it's tougher, for, much tougher for the, for 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 Trump to prove is that Obama himself had anything to do with this, that he directed it, that he would have warranted being called a bad or sick guy. 
That but is a, a bridge almost well, certainly too far. Right. The other one will, remains to be seen. Actually, let me follow right. up let on me, that. Let me, let me follow up on Oba, that. So, no, no. The, this, this is the bit. This, this this goes into also the firing or the asking for the resignations of all the U.S. attorneys. The I believe it's well, forty-six. I was going to bring that up, Dan. I was going to bring that up. Thanks, no. but go ahead. <laughs> all right. So go ahead. In that run case, with it. and to be clear. The president has the right to ask for the resignations of all the U.S. attorneys from the previous administration. Other presidents have done this, including Bill Clinton, including George W. Bush. However, the way in which the resignations were requested was a little odd in this case. Normally, it's done when somebody is in the pipeline to make sure there's no disruption for any ongoing cases or ongoing investigations. Preet Bharara who was the U.S. attorney who had jurisdiction over New York City, also which would cover Trump Tower, was previously asked by the president or the president-elect to stay on as U.S. attorney, who would also have jurisdiction over this. The carpet dismissal of all the U.S. attorneys does have a certain error of the firing of Archibald Cox for the Nixon Oh my god! Oh, 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 I was going to let you go here. Archibald Cox, are you kidding me? Justin. Good God, man. Justin, <laughs> may I follow up when Dan's done in, in, uh, in, in Alice stop laughing, please? Oh, I'm, I'm oh, sorry. Yes, Ken. Ken. Of course you can. Oh, Lord. Can, Admiral Ken. But I want. So, here's what I want. Admiral Ken, I want you to follow up, and then I want you to get Alan Moore so riled up that he'll go off on the Archibald comment. So <laughs> Admiral Ken, then Alan Moore. So wait, so, more riled up? I thought I'd already, I, I'd already reached peak. But if you could outdo me, Ken, please feel free. No, 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 no Dan, Dan, I could never outdo you. Um, so on the uh, on, on the subject of the, um, of the of the investigation, or I'm sorry, of the, of the warrant that may or may not have been in place to allow um, monitoring of of uh, the president and his associates prior to um, him taking office. Um, the one thing I would add to what Alan Alan has said is that if in fact um, you know the the president's conversations were monitored. Uh, it would have been incidental to them monitoring whoever was talking uh, with uh, the Russians. Um, and quite frankly, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the officials would turn a blind eye and almost a deaf ear to, those, to his part in that conversation, unless he was planning something untoward. So uh, I think Alan's assessment of how what the possibilities are are right on target. Uh, and again, um, I think I would be troubled to some extent, um, by you know, this this preoccupation with the Russians and having conversation with them, I, I don't. I frankly, I don't understand the, the Trump's administration's preoccupations with Russia. I don't get it. To Dan's point, um, not all, not only are the resignations expected, um, quite frankly, they are to they're, 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 they come forward in most cases in an unsolicited manner. Mine did. You know, you, they, this is what happens. You put it in. If it gets accepted, great. If, you know, if, if they say, no, no, we want you to stay, okay, cool. 
and the fact that that the you know the president first told um, this gentleman, yeah, I want you to stay, and then, and then told him no. You know what? It's his prerogative to change his mind. That's part of the deal. And and every political appointee, if he doesn't know that coming in, then shame on them. Alan Moore, would you like to address Dan Lipner? Sure. No. First of all, I I, I agree 100 uh, percent with with uh, with Ken. Um, and uh, but but I want I got a question about uh, just a question of fact of of how uh, FISA warrants are issued and, and who who's in the loop. It would seem to me, and I this is just me speculating because I certainly don't know, and you, somebody one of you guys may know. The, F, the 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 National Security Agency uh, or the CIA um, using its regular or, or the FBI surveilling Russian uh, intelligence folks, the ambassador and so on. It was the ambassador in this case, so it might have been the FBI. They're surveilling this guy, the ambassador, and they discover he's talking to Flynn, and they listen in on what he has to say to Flynn, and Flynn uh, says. Hey, you know, you guys may not want to respond in kind to us uh, kicking out some of your folks. We're going to have a new president before long, and you never know. Um, and th- th- that kind of conversation doesn't trouble me uh, in particular, um, but it's picked up. And then it's discovered that when Pence says, Flynn talked to me, told me he didn't talk about that, and then he says it on national television, and it's the lie the misinformation, the false information is allowed to linger out there, prompting folks to come and say, you know, he's vulnerable to blackmail on this. And, and the, we, we, they then decide we want to surveil him, Flynn more. And maybe they were watching him from before. Maybe it was him they were watching and not the ambassador. I don't know, but, the, my, here's my question: When, when the nat, when the national security folks see a reason to surveil somebody and go to the FISA court, is that is the U.S. attorney in that location even part of the loop? I don't know that he would be, he or she so, would be. Um, so he, that's not where me, these me, things originate. Let me jump in on that one, Alan, because I've talked to several people about this, and these are people that were. I can't say involved, but we're definitely connected in the know. Um, One, so when we talk about a FISA warrant, we're talking about a warrant issued under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act of 1978. And basically what happens is there are people in the Department of Justice and the FBI that are specifically assigned to national security that are responsible for implementing or putting in FISA warrants. These people are, because when you, you can't involve the CIA. Now, the CIA can provide intelligence of, uh, you know, interactions happening here in the United States, but because of the separation, the CIA cannot do surveillance on individuals here in the United States. That falls under right. the DOJ and the FBI. So right. there, is, there is a possibility that a U.S. attorney might be read into this. However, it is more than likely a DOJ FBI headquarters issue where the warrant would be issued and then the Bureau uh, would then implement said warrant. 
Does that make sense to you? Yeah, that's what I'm guessing it would be. I mean, Dan thinks that it was the U.S. attorney who uh, led this whole thing, and when they, they got rid of him because they wanted to get rid of Archibald Cox. It's just this pre- totally preposterous, crazy notion, but I thought it would at least no, no. be worth finding out whether the U.S. attorney is even part of it. We don't know that he's even part of the process. Jurisdiction is regional on those things for the U.S. attorney, so it's absolutely plausible that Preet Bharara would be involved. That that, well, that he might have he might have been read in. He, he he might have been read in in, uh, in in Justin's words. I I would question whether even that's the case. Um, but and it, this, and would not, this would not would have absolutely come, fall under his jurisdiction. It would not okay, come right. from whoa, his whoa, whoa. office. Okay, wait, this wait, is wait, FBI. Wait, 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 wait. This is wait, FBI wait. headquarters. This is this is national no, the, security the, the, stuff. The, 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 F, the, the, the FBI still needs an attorney to prosecute, and that is Department of Justice, which FBI falls under. But nonetheless, you still need attorneys to prosecute those cases, and you need a prosecutor, which would be the U.S. attorney for that district of New York. I, so, so here's here's the question, and and here's what here's where we don't know, and I will find out for our next show if this comes up. Is my understanding is that all FISA warrants are issued and prosecuted under under the DOJ in DC in DC Circuit Federal Court. It's a national. It's a national because the FISA courts are so secret. And in order to get a warrant, you can't even you can't even talk about getting a warrant without a top a top level top secret clearance. That being the case, there is a limited number of people in this country that are that are part of that whole FISA mechanism. Now, is the U.S. Attorney Southern District New York part of that? Possibly. I don't know. I venture to say probably not because my understanding is, is that the FISA stuff happens at a headquarters DOJ FBI level. And the court is, if the court like that uh, does this, uh, it, it happens here in the national capital region. Yeah. It's a so, national security matter. Let me right. just add one other thing to my understanding of the replacement of all of these U S attorneys there's always, you know, these are offices. These are large offices. There are deputies, and and in every case, there's a there's a there's a deputy U.S. attorney who moves in to take over on a temporary basis until a new U.S. attorney is named. It's not like the, everything is gutted, and if if that office is hot on the trail of something going on in Trump Tower, believe me, those the the the, the next in line and all the people around are all going to step up and say, hey. Go to it. I'm and not the, the Trump the, administration is good at this. Don't get me wrong. I am simply saying this is a plausible approach to what they were trying to accomplish. You are making a linkage that is a bridge too far. You jumped the shark on this one, and I just needed to call you out. Of, on. Uh, yeah, Alan, it, it's Alan, right Alan, up there with the microwave, microwave spying on us. Okay, okay, okay. There, there we go. Thank you. Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> that being said, we are at the top of the hour. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of foreign affairs. Uh, one, Andrea Merkel's coming into town. How is that meeting going to go? 
is that relationship broken? To the Trump no administration, no popcorn. <laughs> to the Trump administration is asking for a twenty billion dollar reduction in funding to the UN. How's that gonna go over? And some other foreign affairs matters. But this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio from a cloudy and snowy and icy covered national capital region. We will be back in two and a half minutes. Stay with us. And we are back here live from my living room, but we are here in Washington, D.C. in a remote setting. We are dealing with an ice and snowstorm. Stop snowing, but the ice is still out there. This is the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, Joining me as they do every Tuesday, Admiral Ken Carradine, 
uh, Alan Moore and Dan Littner Esquire. Hey, uh, want to talk about a little, a couple of foreign affairs items that have popped up. Obviously, the the big one coming up is that the White House has announced the state visit of German Chancellor Andrea Merkel. Uh, Chancellor Merkel will be coming to the uh, Washington area next week on a state visit, and uh, this will be the. I'm sorry. Friday. Friday. Oh, she's coming this Friday. That was, I apologize. She was that supposed to come today, but yeah. Snow down. Daylight savings time adjustment. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, she is coming to meet with uh, the president. This will be the, I believe, first face-to-face meeting that the two have had. Uh, let me bring let me bring this up. Ken Carradine, how cold is that relationship right now? And is there any chance of a face-to-face meeting warming it up? Well, I'd say a good a good measure of the temperature is probably what it is in my balcony right now. Um, it's it's icy, um, and um, I, you know I'm a big believer that if you've got a problem with someone or something that they're doing, um, the fastest way to get past it is a face-to-face meeting. Uh, it's not a phone call. Kind of email my counsel to my um, my colleagues, my the people that that work on my teams. If you start having issues with somebody, about the time you trade in the third email, it's time to get off and get out of their office. Well, I suspect that this is probably an attempt on either her part or his to try and get past some of the bad feelings, and I, I I'm hopeful that they can work through it. Germany um, has been a, a, a big ally. Um, you know, in a world where we're, we're warm and cozy with the Russians, I guess there's less of a concern about um, Germany's allegiance to us. But uh, I'm not a big believer that that, that, that aforementioned world is ever going to come to fruition. If Dan Lipner made better vodka, we would be better, better friends. Oh, good grief. Dan, okay, comedy night <laughs> is next Tuesday. Dan, all right, you know what, Dan? I'm putting you in timeout. Alan Moore, uh, <laughs> with. The, in fact, you know what? I'm putting you. On, I'm putting you on mute. You're you're in timeout. Um, <laughs> that's why I love the remote. He really has I love the, the remote broadcast. Today. I love the remote broadcast. <laughs> I can put them in corners. Hey, um, Alan Moore, let me go to you. Is what? What are the general expectations that the American public should expect out of this meeting? I mean, are we? This is not a situation where we're going to come up with some new mind blowing policy. We just have this. Matter, we should just expect that we are going to stave off a disastrous uh, foreign relations uh, blowout between Washington and Berlin. So this is the getting to know you. This is what 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 Ken just uh, so accurately described. Um, and and Donald Trump is pretty good at these things. You know, he had been very critical of Japan and. And Prime Minister Abe came, and they played some golf. Uh, the, the Chinese leader is coming to town, and, and they're going to go meet at Mar-a-Lago. That's later this weekend, I think. Um, and and he's good at these. He's Everybody who's ever dealt with the guy says one-on-one and small groups, he's charming, he's engaged, he's smart. Um and then he goes political and goes public and gets on his Twitter account and he goes nuts. So um, it, 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 I'm guessing 
that given the 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 uh, the icy uh, relationship at the moment, where he was so publicly uh, highly critical of of uh, Merkel herself and Germany's uh, open door policy to uh, to refugees from Syria, and then some of the the subsequent uh, challenges that that created, um, both uh, domestically and politically uh, for her. Um, uh, there's uh, there's a lot they have to talk about, but they've not met. She can be, she's a pro. She's been around. He's a pro in his own way. He's charming. I don't see any big things out of this other than him being effusively complimentary of her, of how smart she is and what a great leader and how lucky the German people are to have uh, such a such a strong leader and a visionary, and there won't be a lot of substance. That's my hunch. Dan Littner, you're out of the corner. Uh, is is there an expectation that this get-to-know-you meeting could reveal a new common ground between us and uh, Chancellor Merkel? Okay, so I need to respond to Alan's point. So the president actually does have a mild victory with Angela Merkel, that that Chancellor Merkel did come out and say that that Germany needs to pony up more on their contributions to their NATO membership. Now, it's worth noting that the president talks about the money pouring in. That's not quite right. The, the chancellor did say they need to do this. It hasn't happened yet. However, the other state visits that have happened or not happened. So Justin Trudeau, that meeting went eh. The president of... Mexico, that president, that 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 meeting got canceled, and the meeting with Theresa May was, while charming, was also a little iffy. The Shinzo Abe meeting was wrought with problems. The fact that it happened down in Mar-a-Lago during a North Korean missile test, Lord only knows what the full out outcome of that is. But I'm a little hesitant to talk about the president's charm offensive being completely effective. I don't quite know what uh, Chancellor Merkel's, the outcome of that meeting will be. She's got some pretty significant domestic political issues from both the right and left in Germany. But all of that is going to be played out with the president of the United States. So that's to be seen. But I'm not quite willing to go where Alan has gone with the love affair with Donald Trump. Uh, Admiral Ken, uh, the president today met with the uh, uh, crown prince of Saudi Arabia, and who also serves as Saudi Arabian defense minister. Uh, but that one was kept relatively under wraps and pretty quiet. Would it have been helpful for the Trump administration to – make this a little bit more public and saying, look, we are doing reach out to our Muslim allies in the Middle East, or would that draw too much attention to the travel restrictions? Well, so, so one of the things that I, I've all, that I've been kind of, I don't know, um, confused by um, about the travel restrictions. So the first version of that, nor the second version um, had Saudi Arabia 
uh, on the uh, the list of, of countries that were uh, we were going to impose a ban. Um, and I think it's ironic that um, most of the 9/11 uh, hijackers came from, from Saudi Arabia. Um, so I think you know the answer to your question is uh, I think had that gotten more notoriety, possibly people with uh, media people with much more uh, exposure than, than, than myself might have brought that up as a point. And uh, here we go back back to that road again, and we would have had to come up with yet another diversionary tactic. Uh, Alan Moore, I pose the same question to you. Well, yeah, I, I, we, we've certainly talked about uh, the origins of the, of the original uh, uh, travel uh, the the temporary ban and why the countries were picked. They were all countries designated by uh, the Obama administration for the primary reason that, but for Iran, none of the other countries had the ability, uh, the infrastructure, the working government to provide background information. Um, and their relationships with the U S were different and they were also sites of, of uh, ongoing uh, hostility um, then we pulled Iraq out of the latest one because we it is so critically important that we're able to uh, get uh, good working relationships with Iraq so that they will actually help us and that they won't feel like we've but like we've abandoned them. Now, with regard to the meeting with the Crown Prince, of which I know nothing. Okay, he's a Crown Prince, and and if you're when it when you're a president meeting with somebody who's less than the head of state, it's, uh, it, you'll do it, but it's not something that, that, uh, barring something really important coming out of it, that you're going to trumpet, uh, was, a great deal. So was this, was this, an uh, olive, excuse me, was this an olive branch to the Saudi, uh, Royal family? I'm, well, uh, I don't remember the current state of health uh, of the king. Um, and so, you know, it may be that, that everybody knows this guy is, in fact, uh, next in line. That's not always the case with the Saudis. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's, it's another – it's both a courtesy meeting, a get-to-know-you uh, – a lot of heads of state want to come early and just show that they've been here already um, and uh, had, had, had the ability to, uh, to be allowed to come early, either to be invited or to be granted permission uh, to come. So it's, it's, it's typically of more use to the folks back home than it is uh, to the U.S. Now, when it comes to our European partners and and, and as well as Israel, because Netanyahu was here too. We didn't that didn't get mentioned before. Um, that that uh, you know it's a it's much more of a mutual thing of how can we work together, what can we do, and get to know you a little bit. The 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 expectations for these meetings tend to be pretty low, and they tend to be met, meaning not a lot happens. Uh, when it comes to the issue of trade and the economy, the global economy, Dan Littner, this has got to be something that's high on the register for Angela Merkel's visit to Washington, D.C. Uh, is there, is, is part of 
the cold relationship between Germany and the U.S. right now based on the nationalistic uh, economic trade rhetoric that's coming out of the White House? I mean, it's got to be. I mean, trade is fundamental to the German economy, and I'm sure this is something that Alan can go into in far more detail than I can. But the Germans have a trade surplus and have for years, if not decades. Um, so the U.S. retreat from global trade um, cannot sit well with the Germans as far as their view on how global trade is supposed to work. But I, I will yield entirely to Alan. He's far more of an expert on this area. Alan Moore, I pose the same question to you, sir. Well, and the question is? Is, is, is part of the frigid temperature in relations between – Germany and the U.S. based on the nationalistic, economic, nationalistic trade uh, rhetoric coming out of the White House? Well, it absolutely has to concern uh, the Germans. What's being, what's really being talked about? And uh, is the U.S. uh, inclined to do something very, very different in its uh, trade relations. Is it is it truly talking about imposing uh, some new restrictions? Is it truly talking about imposing some tariffs? Um, does uh, does the president understand what the ramifications of such a thing would mean for uh, the Germans? for the Europeans, for particular kinds of imports that uh, particularly in the, in the, in the defense and industrial space that the Germans uh, uh, make from the U S Dan was, was talking about the, uh, the Germans in willingness to, to increase their spending for NATO um, uh, which, uh, as as was pointed out, is more a commitment than any dollars moving yet. But one of the ways that you would increase your spending for NATO would be to purchase um, uh, some U.S. weaponry. There, there's a lot of things that that are tied in uh, to this that the president probably doesn't understand. And as everybody is increasingly getting to know. If you want to get the president's attention, you've got to be fairly specific uh, about uh, and, and get him face to face, be precise, explain your points, and you may be able to uh, educate him and win him over. Uh, let me go to another subject that just was announced here over the past 24 hours is the uh, the the announcement that the White House is planning a 20 billion dollar reduction in funding to the UN. Admiral Ken, how dangerous is this? Well, Secretary of uh, State Mattis, when he was in uniform, I'm sorry, Secretary of Defense Mattis, when he was in uniform, uh, made the comment that if you reduce the number of diplomats, you need to, in- you need to increase the number of bullets I got to buy. And uh, I think that that's about as true a statement as possible. Um, I find this concerning. Um, you know, I think. I'm a big believer in talk as much as you possibly can before you commit forces to doing anything. And if you got less players on the field talking, boy, it sets you up for some really difficult time. Alan Moore, are we putting too much 
uh, are we putting too much into the actual usefulness of the United Nations, or are we not using the United Nations to its fullest capacity as a nation? So let me let me make clear how we most how, there are two things where the UN is really valuable to us. One is it does provide a forum where everybody gets to get together and talk talk in in large groups, talk behind the scenes, um, and there's there's actually genuine benefit in doing that. And there are times where the the Security Council can actually take positions that 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 matter. Um, the General Assembly tends to take positions which don't don't matter very much. It's it, it's the uh, the Security Council that that matters the most. Um, but but the other way that that the UN the UN is particularly beneficial to the U.S. is that UN peacekeeping forces go into nasty nasty situations and places. There's UN peacekeepers all over Africa, for example, um, where they are much more welcomed than any U.S. Uh, group would would be welcomed, and more to the point, they cost probably uh, 10% or less of what it would cost to put American troops in there who wouldn't be very welcome. So for us, it's really in our interest to participate in a big way in a lot of these peacekeeping efforts, um, uh, and uh, and the best way to do that is with folks from third countries. Um, from Middle Eastern countries, from African countries, and so on. So, those are those are two big ways in which the UN is is of great benefit to us. And remember, anything we hear about what the president's proposing in terms of a budget, uh, whether it's the United Nations, whether it's foreign aid, whether it's EPA, whether it's HUD, and they've all been in the news. These are budget proposals which, uh, just like this new health care proposal, typically arrive on the Hill, and they're dead on arrival. They're not unimportant. They become a framework. They become a way to talk about these issues. But they, they're all going to have to be negotiated with Congress. Yeah. Um, yeah, and on, on that end, it's worth noting that Lindsey Graham has said, the Republican from South Carolina has said explicitly the cuts in, in foreign aid are, are dead on arrival. So this isn't just rhetoric. This is somebody whose words actually matter. Well, yeah, obviously. So we're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, Dan, that's a great segue, because uh, I want to I finish out the conversation this week talking about uh, the, the, uh, the thoughts of Representative Steve King, the Republican out of Iowa, regarding – quote, somebody else's babies. Uh, I want to talk about that and some of the interesting dynamics that are happening inside the Republican Party. The question is, are we starting to see a new GOP mindset because of the Trump White House, or are we just going to see a continued party line that could, in fact, backfire on the party? This is Backroom Politics, live from Washington, D.C., We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us.
back here live from Washington, D.C., in icy, cold Washington, D.C. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. Always a fun time with our usual gang of suspects, Admiral Ken Carradine, Alan Moore, and Dan Lipner. Uh, changing pace a little bit, thanks to a good segue from uh, Dan in the last segment, but I want to talk a little bit about, about a new dynamic happening inside the Republican Party right now. First, I want to touch on uh, one of the one of the comments that was made by uh, Congressman Steve King, the representative from the representative from Iowa's fourth congressional district. Um, Congressman King made a comment over the weekend on Twitter where he said where he shared a story about a far right wing Dutch politician named Gert Wilders. But the comment that he tweeted was, and I quote, Wilders understands that culture and demographics are our destiny. We cannot restore our civilization with somebody else's babies. Basically, following up on Gert Wilders' comments on ending Muslim immigration and banning the Quran and Moroccan, and he is also called Moroccan immigrant scum for that matter, not Steve King, the Dutch politician Gert Wilders. But Steve King went all in on this tweet and is backing up this uh, on the Talking Head shows both yesterday and today. That is, is that a new dynamic, Alan Moore, that we're starting to see? Uh, is this playing to a truly nationalistic, populist party in the Republican Party right now? Well, I... I didn't hear anything of what he said today. I would be very, very careful 
uh, and, and maybe there's been more developments about linking him to the anti-Muslim, anti-Koran comments, um, uh, and and be a little be a little more expansive in thinking about it that uh, that anybody who understands demographics and economics knows that uh, that our birth rate is declining, our uh, our population is aging. Um, we need younger people to come up and take jobs and contribute to uh, to local taxes, to Social Security, to Medicare, to federal taxes. And if we can't do it by having an, enough babies of our own, we need immigrants. And we have been much more successful than many Western uh, economies and democracies in letting uh, in, in taking in immigrants, welcoming them to 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 keep our population growing at a, at a reasonable rate. We're trying to maintain control of that. We're trying to be sure we know who's coming in, but it stands to reason that, that that dynamic is out there in, in our world and not just this country. Now for him to say, we need, (laughs) we need to produce our own babies. the, The most benign kind interpretation would be, Hey, Let's keep having babies, folks. Let's not just fill our future needs with immigrants. And as far as I know, he wasn't talking about uh, about Muslims. I mean, that's been a very that's been a a, a trickle of people uh, of, of our immigrants. Uh, we're 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 still mostly getting immigrants uh, from uh, uh, from central uh, from the central and South America. Um, so. It's it's it's. I know there's a bunch of outrage. It, it, it sounds uh, uh, racist, and maybe there is some racism here. But there's also, uh, you know, it's an argument that 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 one can make that we need to pay attention to our fertility rate, to our own population, and not become not become dependent upon immigrants. Not because we're afraid of them, not because we're afraid of them or what they might bring here, um, but uh, uh, let, let's but let's Alan, con- let's control our our destiny as much as we can. Yeah, yeah go Alan, ahead. Let me, Alan, let me jump in real quick because you know when it, uh, this morning on CNN, uh, Chris Cuomo, the host of New Day on CNN, asked uh, Congressman King to defend his comments and 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 king went all in uh on his view and and this is what he said quote unquote um you know western civilization must be defended and when cuomo asked him you know muslim american italian american jewish americans are they all equal are they all the same thing king's response was they contribute differently to our culture and civilization and went on to say individuals will contribute differently, not equally to the civilization and society. Certain groups of people will do more from a productive side than other groups of people will. Does it, I mean, to me, especially as a Republican, that sends a really scary message about Republican thinking when it comes to not just immigration, 
but broader aspects of our population. Am I reading too much into this, Admiral Ken? Well, I wouldn't attribute the the, the thinking <laughs> of one guy to all Republicans. Um, and I I had not when you start differentiating and say some people are in effect some people are more better than others, um, you start getting into very dangerous territory. Um, and uh, and I let him he can he, he can talk for himself, but I don't want any part of that. I mean, Ken. I mean, is, and and again, I hearing Alan's point. It just seems to me that we are getting slowly closer to a nationalistic sense in the GOP that uh, that is almost scary. Well, so I think there are a couple of things going on here. Um, so one, I think uh, I, I'm going to try and think best of of, uh, of Senator King's comments. Uh, Sorry, Congressman King, as I, as I wade through this. Uh, one, um, I, I, I like to think that he, he, he wants to see Americans producing more Americans. Um, for all of the, uh, the points that Alan brought up with regard to our, dem- our uh, decreasing birth rate. So, okay, fine, check. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, I basically became a Republican under the Reagan watch and I, at, the, at, the, at the age of 22, and um, my, um, my, you know, I was the first of my family to, to basically go down that political road. And the comments that I heard back in those days were Republicans are just white people. And so Congress, the Congressman King's comment, uh, along with the comments of several other people who, who back uh, President Trump, um, fall in line with, you know, returning the Republican Party uh, to, to that, that, that perceived monolithic organization. Uh, a monolithic view. Uh, I think that the one thing that, that probably King, if he had time to think about it and he had time to, to really study it, I think the one thing he might, he might want to allude to is the, the ability for, uh, for immigrants to come to this country and assimilate into our society. You know, in the last 30 years, you know, we've seen, we've seen, uh, menus being produced not from just English, but now in, in several different languages in some of our most popular restaurants. Uh, I've gone to fast food restaurants where the uh, the staff, you know, had difficulty speaking English even inside the United States. And I think while some people like myself are not bothered by that, um, there are a great number of people who are. And what they're seeing is a diminution of the United States as they grew up and as they knew it, and something moving toward uh, and uh, and a, a different kind of U.S. that doesn't look like what they they, they thought it should. Um, but, I think I think our ability ability to assimilate um, and, and bring in immigrants far far better than what we're seeing in Europe, especially in in France. We're not ghettoizing people that come here. Uh, matter of fact, we 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 want to bring in uh, I think people from different cultures because I think in that regard, not according not according to the White House, we're trying to keep them out. Well, again, I, again, I think I think the, the the you know one of the things about being American is that you know this this country was founded on on, uh, on immigrants. Matter of fact, the, the 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 true real Americans are all living on reservations now. They were here first. Every one of us now can trace 
our existence in this country from people who came from someplace else. And so for them, for the White House or any other organized body to ignore that is to ignore the very essence of what it is to be an American. It is an assimilation of different cultures into something that's really, really great. You know, it, it even says it on our money. Yeah. This is what, Admiral how, Ken, how first of all, are you being Admiral Ken, are you being whistled aboard somewhere? No, man. What you're hearing is are the high winds on the uh, the, the 14th floor of my beautiful high-rise apartment, looking at the beautiful downtown, snow-covered downtown city of Washington D.C. Sorry. Okay, just making sure. It sounded like you had a bosun's <laughs> pipe going off in the background. Um, it does. Alan, Alan Moore, let me yeah, let, let me, me let, go let, back. Yeah, let me add some. Well, let me just say something there because you said something about the Trump. Uh, uh, White House doesn't doesn't want people to come in. That's not what the the Trump White House is saying. The Trump White House is saying we want to control our borders. We want to control and know about who comes in. And in fact, says something which is in its own way uh, not without controversy. We want we want only the best, only the best people to come in. We want trained people. We want the super smart people. You know, in effect, uh, this is a this is something that's been sort of floating around out there that bothers me in some of the talk about immigrants. You know, we want doctors and and nurses and engineers, and in the world of uh, global health, um, the, the the global South, which has so few trained professionals to deal with these incredible massive problems, is constantly struggling to stop the outflow of trained people to, uh, uh, to richer countries. I was in, in Africa at different times, and I would see the, the best of the folks from East Africa would end up going to South Africa where they could live better and pay more. And then the best folks from South Africa would go to the Middle East where they could pay more. And then they would go from the Middle East to Canada, Britain, or the U.S. oftentimes. And it's a ma- massive brain drain, which which exacerbates their problems. So, I, I I'm mixing up a couple of things here. I, I I was pushing back on the notion that that the that the White House is per se anti-immigrant. They're just <laughs> they're very selective and picky, and and uh, and when they get that way, there there are often unintended consequences in in places where the some of these trained people come from. And that's. And that's fair enough. That's fair enough. But on the on the flip side of that, when we when we saw Congressman King's tweets and him doubling down on his comments, it, uh, Alan Moore, are we starting to see a new angle in the Republican Party, a more moderate? No, no, no. no. As I, I don't buy it. Now maybe it'll start to be evident. Let, let me not deny that there aren't people who would like to keep everybody out. And, uh, and probably no, 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 uh, it would be undeniable to, to, to say that, that a preponderance of such people uh, were probably Trump supporters. But that's wait, 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 wait. describe me, all on, Trump me, supporters. Alan, 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 let me finish my question. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to that point. Is when Congressman King made his statement, we saw uh, people like – uh, Senator Ben Sass back away tremendously from it. We saw Representative uh, Henry Cubello out of Florida back away from it, as we did uh, Senator Marco Rubio, as we did uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, as we did John Mc- Are we going to start to see a more moderate 
sector of the GOP starting to emerge as we get deeper into a Trump presidency? Are we going to see a more globally thinking, more sensitive GOP side rather than everybody lockstep with Trump? (laughs) I'm laughing at the notion of everybody lockstep with Trump. That's never occurred. That didn't occur in the campaign. Uh, It didn't occur in the primaries. didn't occur in the campaign. After the fact, the Republicans in Washington said, he's our guy. Let's see if we can work with him. Um, And uh, people are doing their best. But that doesn't mean that they simply left their 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 personal history of, of of belief, of comment, of voting, of views uh, uh, at the door. And when they see things that the president does that they disagree with, they're going to be cautious and careful. They don't want a backlash at home, but they're going to speak out. The more controversial the the president is, and this has got nothing to do with King. Um, the more pushback you're going to see his comments accusing uh, President Obama of, uh, in effect, of wiretapping Trump Tower got an enormous amount of pushback. It got a lot of silence from people shaking their heads saying, I'm not going to stick my head up, but thank God for for uh, John McCain and uh, and others saying uh, or, or for that matter, uh, uh, Paul Ryan and, and Mitch uh, McConnell. Um, uh, who've been uh, quite direct on some of this stuff. So I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't link King's remarks, which do have a little o- odious uh, uh, whiff about them, um, to uh, to this particular movement. But when somebody like that speaks out, that's an inter- here's an interesting question. When somebody in the party speaks out and says the kind of things that. We wouldn't be totally surprised if they were part of a tweet from the president and they jump on it and put it down. That's quite interesting. You know, I do think the president gets some some deference, but not in terms of changing people's views, but just in terms of being careful, because he's still got, you know, a, a, a significant degree, of, a significant following and degree of popularity. You don't want to get crossways with the president unless you really, really have to. But Admiral Ken, Admiral Ken, going off what Alan Moore was just saying, I mean, who truly has the bully pulpit here? I mean, who's truly in the the driver's seat as far as the future of the GOP? Is it your uh, is it your uh, Speaker Ryan's? Is it your uh, Henry Cabello's? Is it your senators like uh, John McCain and? Uh, and uh, the and the senator, the two senators out of South Carolina, both Lindsey Graham and Tim Scott, is that where we see the future, or does Donald Trump truly have the voice and the bully pulpit of the GOP going forward? So I, I don't believe that he currently has the voice uh, of the GOP uh, right now. I think he has got a very very loud and devoted following of people. Uh, on both sides of the aisle. He just happens to have been nominated and elected as a Republican candidate uh, for president of the United States. To the first part of your question, I think it's too early to tell. I think just the sheer fact that you've got as much swirl around um, the Trump care bill that we talked about at the top of the show shows that there's, this, is a, this is a group of people desperately in need of someone who can scream 
follow me and everybody else will. That hasn't happened yet. Um, I think uh, I think President Trump's election uh, surprised a lot of people. I even think it might have surprised him a little bit. Um, and I think that um, we are we are we're seeing what happens uh, as an organization tries to come to grips with um, something that they didn't see uh, coming, and then trying to figure out what it needs to do to be effective. Uh, in the governance of the country, something they've had to watch for the most part for the last eight years, and now they're they're uh, they're they're steering the ship. Uh, to your question about um, whether this um, the comments of, of people uh, like Congressman uh, King uh, are representative of the party, um, I I think you know there I remember back when when President President Obama was elected. Um, there was this widespread belief or talk of, of the widespread belief that we were in a post-racial world, that, that those that people did not think that way anymore, because if they did, we wouldn't have a black president. Um, I can tell you that I'm 57 years old. Most of it spent in the United States of America. We are no closer to, to that than, than we were when I was in my 20s. So, but I do think that it is time for moderate Republicans like Lindsey Graham, like John McCain, like Tim Scott. Um, I even put uh, uh, Paul Ryan uh, into that category. I think Paul Ryan's got a soul. I, I like Paul Ryan. And uh, I think these guys, I think through the fullness of time, uh, will emerge as the leaders of the party. Because, because the, 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 true, uh, the truth of the matter is the country is becoming more and more diverse and the, the Republican Party, I think, under Presidents Bush, both, both Bushes, really made an, an earnest effort of reaching out to people of color to bring them into the fold. Uh, I think the Democratic Party did a really good job of reaching out to the Latinos and blacks in the country to get them to vote uh, in, in the two previous elections. I think the challenge is going to be for the Republican Party uh, as I mentioned a few moments ago, who, who has had this really, really bad um, reputation as being the party of, of, of white people, they've got to find some way to lose that. It is not helped by some of the comments that we've heard in the last few years, in the last few months, I'm sorry, but in, in order for it to, to make that turn, it's going to require the leadership of people like Tim Scott, Lindsey Graham, John McCain. So going off of that, Alan Moore is is there is there a possibility we could see the bully pulpit shift from the White House to Capitol Hill and see new leaders come out of this, i.e. a uh, Paul Ryan, i.e. a Tim Scott, i.e. a Henry Curbelo, uh, a Lisa Murkowski, or a Susan Collins? I mean, the... <laughs> The president has become a, uh, a target-rich uh, environment, and uh, a lot of people who might have kept their tongues and stayed quiet uh, be- yeah, because they felt comfortable with him and, and trusted him are finding that he says things that they don't want to be associated with, and they're being pressured uh, both <laughs> probably by their own conscience and by people back home, families, um, uh, longtime supporters, Um you know, the pressure cuts both ways. Um, he is the president. He's only been in office for, uh, you know, less than 50 days. So you don't want to just totally 
uh, totally trash the man, and you're watching him grow and evolve a little bit, um, slowly get a team into place. Um, and uh, so, but, but, but in the meantime, people are speaking out. Um, and uh, this, this health care, the CBO report uh, on, on the health care bill, it brings some folks forward. The comment that the tweet about uh, President Obama wiretapping him, um, uh, which would be a felony, uh, brings people out of uh, some of this budget stuff that's that's uh, being uh, proposed, brings people forward. And um, and so uh, nobody's got a, a a bully pulpit like the president, but other people have uh, baby pulpits and uh, they can grow. So, Alan Moore, let me let me go one step further. The uh, just the other day, uh, Breitbart, which is uh, which used to be run by uh, Breitbart billionaire and current uh, White House bouncer Steve Bannon, uh, released audio tape of Paul Ryan pretty much coming out saying, "I can't support Trump. I won't support Trump." Um, does that help or hurt Ryan? in the GOP, and does that help or hurt Ryan with his effectiveness as speaker? Well, I don't think it makes any difference at all, because my understanding is it was a comment that he made directly, directly, like within 24 hours, on the heels of the making public of his comments to Billy Bush in the bus about how easy it was for him to grab whatever he wanted from uh, from attractive women, because he was a he was a rich uh, TV star, and that prompted several people to to no so, longer endorse him. And I think so it, no, it, it it was what was referred to, and there was nothing new there, other than so hearing would, his words. Why would so why would Breitbart release that and make that a top of the fold headline on its website? I mean, if it doesn't hurt or help, because they because they could because they got it because somebody. Somebody taped it and shared it with Breitbart, and Breitbart uh, made something of it because nobody else had it. So I, I'm sure there are people out there who will say, yeah, I never did trust that Ryan guy and won't look for the context, won't f- look for what was said, when it was said, and what he has said since. And, uh, well, and he himself has said, look, I've, I've, I've evolved well, Dan Lipner, I'm going to bring you in on the last question. Dan, are the Dems just frothing at the mouth for midterms? Can they get their act together, or is it too little too soon to expect that the Dems are going to have their act together to really make an impact in midterms? Dan Lipner. Did Dan Lipner put himself in an own corner? I don't know. I, I guess he did. The, the answer is the de- Democrats are doing just fine. Republicans need need to get out of their own corner. But it w- would have been nice to come in on the Steve King thing. But that's all right. <laughs> I'm sorry, Dan. Dan, I warned you. I warned you at the break that that might happen. Oh, Dan's angry at me. I'm sorry, Dan. I apologize. So, what do you want to say about Stephen King? Dan, what's his latest? What's his latest thriller about, anyway? <laughs> no, the only thing is Steve. King, the only Steve King item was I was going to come in defense of every other Republican out there that Steve King's a racist. That said, 
Steve, Steve King does not represent every Republican. He has a track record and a history on this. But nonetheless, I, I, I will let you moderate as you see fit. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh now Dan's – Dan, I apologize. I should have brought you in, and I apologize for that. So Please don't be hurt. So he could, I apologize. In fact, so the, in fact so it the, comes to so my, the Dan could – so Dan could echo what had already been said. Well, no, 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 no. Dan brings in a very good Democratic perspective, which we need. Uh, but that being said, and Dan, I will give you – normally I would say only about a minute. It's time for what did we miss. We, we talk about the stories that we should have talked about and didn't, or we may talk about the future. Dan, I am giving you complete and total control. What did we miss this week? Just the, the Republicans playing defense, and we've already talked about this, but I think it was underemphasized. Republicans playing defense on the health care issue. Uh, most most Republicans are from states where working class and poor people are the folks most that most benefited from government assistance in health care, and that's going to be an ongoing issue throughout not only the midterms but going forward electorally. So the Healthcare reform is not quite as cut and cut and dry as the the folks who are, are, are ideologues would suggest. Very good. Uh, go to you, Admiral Ken. Admiral Ken, what did we miss? So, um, sometime last year, I, um, I I talked about. Uh, this issue doing the the, uh, the session the section formerly known as known as tell me a story and it was the fact that there was an Asian Malaysian businessman named uh, 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 nicknamed Fat Leonard and there was a huge bribery scandal shooting across the Navy uh, and that would be more more coming well uh, yesterday the scandal claimed five more victims um, and I don't think they're done yet. Um, the, the latest was an admiral, three or four senior officers, and uh, one uh, fairly uh, senior um, warrant officer. Um, and the uh, the comments around the story are salacious. Um, everything from wild multi-day sex parties to uh, uh, other lavish gifts. It's not over yet, and I think, quite frankly, um, it's one of the things we should talk about. Okay, we'll take that. Uh, Alan Moore, last word to you. What did we miss this week? Well, we've we've got uh, along along with the other legislative challenges, we've got uh, uh, a debt limit um, uh, problem that's emerging. The, the the Treasury Secretary has already talked about it. We have have just about exhausted the current legal level of debt uh, uh, deficit spending, and this is typically uh, an exercise we go through every. Every year or two, depending upon how much we increase the debt, the the, the government still operates at a huge deficit. Um, the Republicans were were singularly unhelpful um, and were holding out for for goodies in in increasing the debt limit for President Obama. I think we can expect the same thing uh, from the Democrats, and we'll be wasting a, a fair amount of time um, going through that exercise, quoting. Both, both, both sides quoting uh, members of, of the opposite party about uh, to explain why they're doing what they're doing, 
um, but it'll be another unfortunate waste of time, needless exercise um, with with some collateral damage while we uh, allow our government to continue operating. Very good. Hey, uh, my what did we miss story is uh, Washington Post last week put out a uh, a a story regarding the budget proposal out of OMB to fund NOAA. And judging from the accuracy of the snowfall today, as well as their accuracy to predict this winter at all, I would say the last thing you would do is take money out of NOAA, particularly when it comes to the National Weather Service. You might want to start bumping that up so we can start getting some real predictions on whether that affects our economy, our uh, current state of emergency or not. We got to get smart about that. Taking it out of Noah is not a smart deal. Anyway, with that, on behalf of, and, and by the way, Dan Lipner, once again, I apologize for not bringing you in on the uh, Steve King issue. I promise I will do better next time. Thank you. He's really mad at me. Oh, my God. I'm sorry, Dan. I'll call you after the show. Hey, and uh, well, on behalf let, of Dan, let me let me give you Let me give you a quick break on that, then. After I yelled at Dan earlier for making the Archibald Cox reference, my wife came in and she said, you are nasty. You owe him an apology. And then I yelled at her. <laughs> Dan, you are getting all kinds of props today. Dan, you are great. Dan, you are fantastic. Dan, you are all-knowing. And nothing. Anyway, on behalf of Dan Lipner, <laughs> on behalf of Dan Lipner, uh, Alan Moore, and Admiral Ken Carradine, I am your moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next week live. Uh, where we do the show from is still up in the air. We'll let you know, but we will be live uh, on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, please, you can follow us on our home, on our Twitter handle at Backroom Politics. You can also follow us on Facebook at Backroom uh, Facebook.com slash Backroom Politics Radio. You can also follow us on uh, our comments on our uh, friends over at Sidewire, where Dan, myself, and Ken routinely contribute to that discussion. Uh, so definitely follow us, Sidewire.com. You can follow us there. Anyways, have a great week, America. Stay warm. And we'll we are still week. the place to be. We are still the place to be. It's still the best political talk show. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, everybody. See you next week. Bye-bye. This is Backroom Politics.